Hello, it's Candy here, agent for the Agency Podcast. <laughs> Welcome, and Eugene here in Toronto. Hi, we're just talking about who's recording and who's pressing record, and I'm editing today, so I'm pressing record, and it's going to be slower than usual because my freaking cable and Wi-Fi was down for the last more than 24 it's, hours. It's been like uh, an international conspiracy stopping us from recording this. <sighs> Well, I couldn't believe when you texted me that your your Gmail, you couldn't get on your Gmail. Um, yeah, no, really, honestly, I was like, what did we say last week? I think they're blocking me because it's just like around our house. <laughs> but it, it, it's about it's a about, cloud of no Internet around your house. Yeah, it's about 200 houses. And what's really funny. So, I mean, you know, what did I do the other night when the cable went down? I was like, well, I guess I'll drink. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll have a drink and um, you know try not to get into too much trouble around here um, we have a new place we're staying we have four neighbors in the same building three of them own the building and um, it's a little bit like being on campus I've got to say sometimes we're sitting out in the front stoop uh, catching up on the day's activity with a gin and tonic or a wine <laughs> That sounds pretty nice, actually. It's so wonderful. And, you know, we're talking about the Real Housewives because uh, my friend Jason likes a lot of the same reality TV I like. So we're just ah. like dying. And I get to finally ask him, did Brandy and Denise really sleep together or was that just fake news? Um, so, you know, I get somebody who has their opinion <laughs> on things. <laughs> well, that's excellent because I, I can't help you on that. No, you can't. Nope, nope. No, and I'm not going to ask you to. Now, sometimes Stag, he has the, he watches some of these shows by osmosis. Um, I will drag him in to watch an episode of The Real Housewives of New York because sometimes Sonia falls. Sometimes they fall when they're absolutely wasted. And I'm laughing so hard that I have to call him in to come and see it. <laughs> I'll replay it over and over again because there's something wrong with me. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So the, the yeah, all the Internet was down for a while. And um, no, I did look at magazines. I did just drink. I did some housework and cleaning and moving things around because um, we are officially out of the old building. I think that that happened last week. I think I told you that. And yeah, possibly, so, yeah. you know, I'm just focusing on other things now. And well, uh, that's good. And I'm sure you're sick of cleaning smoke off of soot off of things. Unbelievable. You know, I was going to throw those chem sponges out and I wasn't sure what to do. So I've kept them. I've kept them. When Jason came in the other night, he walks by and he goes, are you, is this a Canadian thing? Have you got bricks over the heater? So I have these chem sponges on a cooking tray, you know, those cooling trays Yeah, yeah. over top of a floor heater vent. <laughs> he thought they were bricks. <laughs> so he thought it was some weird Canadian thing that you heat the bricks up and bring them into the house. Or I was like, yeah, you mean warming up the Canadians do that. Yeah. In our yeah, Canadians do that. And then we, well, I do know at my grandmother's summer place, her camp in um, Malachi, Ontario, she did have some really old hot water bottles that were ceramic and she used them as door stoppers. But if, if it got to be a cold night, she'd pour boiling hot water in there and put it in the bed. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Do you have any idea what I'm talking about at all? <laughs> kind of. Okay. <laughs> So um, now that you're settled in, what have you been up to? Well, um, I have been catching up on my shows and I have been um, 
Well, I got some cigar boxes. I'm going to decorate some cigar boxes. Oh, Stag's bringing me some coffee right now, special delivery, because I didn't time it right for the uh, pod for recording. So I left him in charge of pouring me the coffee. Where, and where did you get uh, cigar boxes? Because they're really sought after by the instrument making community who make cigar box oh, guitars. Oh, I'll, and I'll bring banjos. you some. I'll, I'll save some. But the problem is, I only like certain ones. Probably the banjo people are also going to want those too. Banjo and guitar, right? I, I think both, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I get them at, I'm not going to say, because now I'm panicking. Also, I have been a hard, it's been harder for me to get them. It seems like other people are collecting them now. Whereas I went into the place I went to, which I'm not going to say, <laughs> a place that sells cigars. Let's just say a smoke shop. There you go. A smoke shop. And they, they, they don't charge a lot. Sometimes they're $3. Right now they were only $1. And I tried to get someone I was in Tennessee, um, but we could they only had cardboard ones so the ones i like are highly decorative they've got all the nice patterns around the corners and i have a feeling other people will, they like those too so we have we're doing an art table again on the 24th of april so i got some cigar and boxes where is that that's at martin's corner i think it's at 2058 west 22nd place and that's on april 24th at 2 to 2 to 12 let's just say 2 to 10 and um so I'm decorating some cigar boxes because they were very popular last time we did it, last time I had them. But I only could get so many. So that's sure. what I've been doing, stuff like that, tracking down. Um, you know, I did lose a lot of paper product. Um, fortunately, because of my magazine fetish, I have a lot more paper product coming my way to make find more collage stuff. That's what I'm doing. And I've got, I've tried to organize, you can see in this room, it's like a Victorian alcove in here. I've got books right up to the ceiling. It's a small little room and I've got my research books all around. So I'm hoping I get back to reading and writing because I was so stoked for the last few months going through the, the fall and the winter. I felt like I was on a roll writing, just like, oh my God, I'm going to write yeah. this book. And then you had to really stop everything to just you know, Absolutely. straighten up the hole in the universe. Yes, that's right. The hole, in the, the hole in the universe, right? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I've laughed about that hole a few times, I will say. I've been able to laugh and cry about it. Hey, speaking of holes in the universe, mm -hmm. I believe both of us uh, went out to the movies this week. Yes, we did. To see everything, everywhere, all at once. What a movie. I don't really know how to start to talk about this, except to say, it's first of all, it's a masterpiece. It's a masterpiece. It's unquestionably a masterpiece. Yes. The likes of which we haven't seen in a long, long time. And, um, and it's bonkers. It's bonkers. And it's we're completely not completely wacky. It's completely wacky. And I don't, I, as far as I'm concerned, best movie. If they have another Oscars awards, it has to be best picture. There's no way any movie can possibly come close to this. No, for the all the layers of meaning and entertainment and emotions and heart, I just don't see it's even possible. Plus, plus this is Jamie Lee Curtis playing the piano with her toes. Oh my god. I would god. go anywhere to see that. I know. I <laughs> I started laughing so hard. I was shocked because I, I really didn't know very much about the movie. And um Sheila had texted me that she saw it. So I thought, oh my God, I guess they've gone to see this movie. And I was pretty busy, but what I did was I ran down to the matinee at one o'clock on Monday because I figured we were recording on Tuesday. I'm going to see this movie so I can talk about it with you, G. 
And of course, I hadn't seen it with (laughs) Sheila because I was doing something like playing Go or something and she went to the movies. And and so I hadn't seen it. But since Candy rushed out to see it so that we could talk about it. Yes. uh, Last night, I went out to see it. (laughs) Thank you. I appreciate it. Or I guess the night before last. Yes. yes. Um, And I was just stopped in my tracks. Yeah. You know, it's uh, stars uh, Michelle Yeoh, who is just brilliant. Oh, my God. Where has she been? And, you know, you know who I expected to be in this film? I expected that we would see Aquafina uh, playing Joy, you know? And yes. yes. Curiously, I looked a little into this movie a little bit, and Aquafina had signed up to play Joy. Yeah, I but believe it. There was a scheduling issue, and she couldn't do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I definitely could see that she would have been cast in this. However, we just found uh, someone else wonderful to watch. Who is also wonderful and perfect, oh, yes. my God. Yeah. So I would describe this movie as The Matrix meets Kill Bill meets Goat Simulator meets The Lost <laughs> Daughter. And I don't know, you're not going to know what Goat Simulator is, but um, I know because uh, my grandson plays it. And it is the wackiest video game you walk around and you can stretch your in a a random town this little town with corner stores and shopping and houses and you walk you walk around there's no there's not per se killing it's not like a competitive game that way it's more like a an experience goat simulator and it is so whimsical it's beyond belief and your tongue can stretch out and stick on a goat and the goat floats around you like a balloon so (laughs) so that's why i say goat simulator because Rhyme and reason is long gone from this movie. Um, yeah, you- as a for instance, and, and I don't want to give away too much, but I okay. will say that there is a universe in this film in which human beings are just like human beings anywhere else, except instead of fingers, they have hot dogs. <laughs> well, yes, because it's a multiverse. It, you're in a multiverse. So that I don't think we're giving away too much by saying a yes, multiverse. And with because- every choice that's made, it creates a new universe. So yes. there's a ton of universes. Yes, there are. And that's so, science. That's science. So th- so th- I, there's two ways of looking at the film. Okay. On the one hand, it's a family drama, uh-huh. right? It's it's about a woman who's really re- taking a reckoning of her life, looking back, trying to figure out, could I have done things differently? She's got problems with her daughter, problems with the father, problems with the husband. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many problems in her life. And um, same same time, it's also for her daughter. It's a coming of age story, right? <laughs> She's coming into her own. That's for and, you. Well, it's that's there true, for right? you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the husband is uh, is trying to divorce her, but she can never seem to see the paperwork. And she has tax problems and has to go deal with a tax auditor at the IRS played by Jamie Lee Curtis. So on the one hand, that's all this movie is about. Correct. On the other hand, it seems that there are many, many, many infinite numbers of universes and the universes are in some kind of deep shit and they have to be saved. And so someone who looks exactly like her husband appears, but he's not... um, her husband was uh, Waymond, um, but this guy shows up and he's Alpha Waymond. And wow. he explains that there are many Evelyns in many different universes, but because she's a complete failure in everything she's tried to do, she's the, the perfect 
Evelyn, the only one who can save the universe from from this um, this monster woman who's going to take over the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who, she's, she's who happens citizen. to be her daughter. Yeah, she's the Citizen Kane of sci-fi. This this main character and played by Michelle Yeoh. And you know, it doesn't. What's interesting is the way that we can talk about this film. I don't think we can possibly wreck it for people because it does not follow um, traditional movie formats. And the other thing that's very interesting about it, that this is such a great thing about art, is how could I say that it reminds me of The Matrix, Kill Bill, Goat Simulator, and The Lost Daughter, and it's not at all derivative. It's not at all copying. It's It's completely generative and original at the same time yeah. and um and and it knows what it's doing that it references those movies it's literally and, and, and as well it's totally clever in terms of the physical way the, the film is edited together oh god and there are so many so many completely insane fast edits that it becomes in parts an assault on your senses Yes, it's like I, have, I don't know if I can assault. handle any more of this. I I can, can I handle another second of it? I know. And it just it gets crazier, right? Right. Uh, and on top of everything else, just when you think you're getting a handle on it, you realize it's also a kung fu movie. Yes, yes. It's also a kung <laughs> and there's fu it's movie. a great kung fu movie, and it's a wrestling movie. I mean, it has everything. They find a way to incorporate so many genres into it without you even being distracted by it, but actually laughing. Now there was about 20 people in the theater and I'm telling you, I was laughing so loud. I was so embarrassed. I, I was, was the only one at the theater laughing out loud. Yeah. I was <laughs> laughing out loud. I was like, wow. I, Cause it does have a serious um, presentation on one level, but some of the things that happen are so funny. And even when she, you know, she's a very unhappy woman. I would add that too. So you've got a person who's coming to, they don't know it, but they're going to come to a, a turning point in their life because she's so unhappy that it's actually hindered her process of living in the world. And that's also the beautiful part. I took a couple of notes. You know, the movie starts out with um, a circle. What I, I couldn't figure it out. Is that a mirror? I'm staring at it. It's a circle. And you see three people in the mirror and they're kind of smiling. And the next thing you know, one of the characters covers the mouth of another character and it's very aggressive. And I found it, Oh my God, I got to remember this. I have to remember this. And um, then the circle, they disappear and you go and it's like, you know, the windows in a ship that are portals, like little round circles. It turns out that that's one of the things and you go through it and you see this office and this office, I'm going to quote you when you used to be a boss, it's spectacular. I mean, the papers and junk in this room are amazing. And I'm looking at my little room behind me. And when I saw this opening scene, I couldn't help but think, wow, that's exactly how my desk looks and and my paperwork. And when I'm working, it looks just like that. And it looks insane. And I fell so in love with the set direction in this movie. Um, I'm going to compare it to to Parasite for the sense that we could talk about Parasite and we we couldn't reveal the plot. Because it's it's so difficult to reveal the plot. Um, we've said as much as we can. And when you go see the film, which I highly recommend seeing it in the theater, you're not going to remember what, what we were trying to say. Because it's just, it. the, the other beautiful thing is that they find, found a way to make a film that we can't ruin. <laughs> yeah, it's true. 
Um, so this porthole, this circle comes up throughout the whole movie. It's well, over yes. and over again. There's circles in hairstyles, there's circles on tables, there's circles of mirrors. And, and um, plus, plus her daughter slash evil person uh-huh. who wants to take over the universe or not um, also has a giant black circle mm-hmm. floating around with her that is, in fact, an everything bagel. Yes, an everything bagel. Um, it appears to be a burnt everything bagel. Yes, yes. It's it's so bizarre and wonderful at the same time. And um, it, 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 it did remind me of... I've got so many crazy notes here. I'm going to see if I can even understand them. Um, oh, you know what else I love? So it's a lot about the doors of perception. It's a, oh, it's, yeah. a it's a mystical experience. It's a spiritual journey. It's yeah. a, it's an emotional drama, like you're like a melodrama even. So there's so many things going on. I had no idea what I was going in for. I, I didn't have a clue. And in fact, I will tell you at first, I didn't like the title, except the title told me, it hinted at a spiritual experience because a spiritual experience is everything, everywhere, all at once. <laughs> so I thought, well, I think maybe it's going to have something like that. Also, the circles are our, our, our eyes. So they certainly link the eyeball to that circle motif as well in many, many ways. They find so oh. many ways to do it that it's crazy. Oh, the googly eyes throughout the film. I couldn't even believe it. I, I was like, it. it was so... It's so hijacked the tyranny of my attachment to figuring out what's going on in a film. I just, yes. it was liberating. Yes, and in any sense of, of narrative in a normal way. Yeah, yeah. Because you just don't know where you're, it's like you've gone into a video game. It is And like you that. don't know how to get to the other end. And yes. you have to kind of work your way through it as the characters are working their way through it. And it just gets more and more insane as it goes. True. And they even... To help you know that they know you're going through it. They do things in the film that, that that you go, oh, thank you. Thank you. I get it. You're laughing at me here in the chair in the movie theater. Thank you. They know what the audience is going to feel like. And, um, oh, you know, in the Chekhov thing, they also do traditional storytelling because in a weird way, there is a beginning, middle and end, <laughs> even though you don't know where that is. And they also have Chekhov. If there's a gun in the first act, it has to go off by the end of the play. It's just that you don't have any fucking idea what the gun is. <laughs> well, you just can't exactly. even attach yourself to it. Um, it also is like Siddhartha. Siddhartha in the book and in, in movie versions has a very similar physical visual assault through montaging. And I thought that was pretty cool too. And centered on the face, worshiping the face as the um, mirror to the soul or the eyes to the mirror of the soul. I also laughed because, you know, the doors in the movie, speaking of doors to perception, they're just laughing at us because every time a door opened, you really didn't know what was going to be on the other side. Um, Even the law, they have a family business and even the family business, that's why there's so much paperwork in the office and why there's a problem with the IRS is they're they're trying to control their family business, which may or may not be losing money. Plus they're planning a family community party throughout the whole thing. You're getting this hint and you're like, what is the party? Oh yeah, I think it's the grandfather's birthday. Right. But there's also an alpha grandfather who is one of the people in charge of helping to get the correct Alpha Evelyn in play against yep. her Alpha daughter. Yes, yes. 
Yes. So not only did I think of Citizen Kane, but I also thought of Big Fish. You just reminded me that with this kind of family of course, yes. story where you can't tell what's going on and the emotional delivery of Big Fish. Um, oh, these doors. So what's funny about the doors and one of the reasons I was laughing was, you know, I, I don't know if I'll say my friend's name, but someone I've known all my life when we were about 17 or 18, we had heard that LSD shows you God. And so we're going to get a babysitter to babysit us while we take LSD. And we're in our apartment and we, you know, start getting high. <laughs> we're going to be in our apartment. And what happens is at one point, you know, you get up and you go into the kitchen. Well, there's a door there. You go into the living room, there's a door there. And, you know, when you're a little bit high like that, sometimes you just really laugh. So we were laughing at the doors. In fact, I believe we took off the doors to the apartment, even the bathroom <laughs> door. Because we were like, what's a door? It's an illusion. The whole thing's a joke. And I think we took the doors off of the apartment. Um, she may or may not email us when she hears us. Maybe she'll send us an email with her memory of that night. I think we also filled up the bathtub with water and pushed it onto the floors and slid all over the house. <laughs> so this movie kind of reminded me of that. It was like, wow. Um, Jamie Lee Curtis does such a great job in a supporting role. Oh, she has to this. And of course, she's outside of the family, but she is the IRS auditor um, who also has the the alpha Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> who is an evil monster. Yes, that is true. And she, I mean, really supporting... Everybody needs Oscars for this movie. Jamie Lee Curtis needs an Oscar, if we still believe in that sort of thing, by the time the Oscars come mm -hmm. around. Because maybe we won't. Maybe we won't do Oscars. But she definitely needs an Oscar for that role. Michelle Yu, I don't, I forgot. It's brilliant. Really, uh, brilliant, brilliant. Everybody is so good. Also, and the husband up. actually is a really, really good in a supporting role, too. He's so critical to the movie, it's actually kind of shocking. And he's a bit of a hero as an actor for taking that role. He brings, he helps us know what's going on. Just by his expression, he is able to take on his personas as such a good actor that we know where we are because of him. It, it's pretty amazing. Oh, my God. One, one critic, a guy named uh, Adam Graham, called yeah. this film the everything bagel of movies. Oh, that's really, there you go. That's it. And they knew it. They called, They did it on purpose. Um, and they, they aren't afraid to really have fun during this, too. They, oh they have fun with us. Yes. They make fun of us in a way. They have fun with themselves. They, But yet there's a seriousness about the movie as... The, fa the family drama, certainly. Definitely, definitely. I'm really, um, yeah. And just, you know, in a way it says everybody's lives in their own way can be so wacky and can be their own universe. You know, I think it says a lot about us. Yes. Yes, it does. Um, it really does. I mean, you know, I laughed an awful lot. I'm going to go back on Friday because Stag has to see it. I didn't go with Stag, so I can't really do anything. He needs to see this movie he needs to see so yes. importantly. So we're going to go on Friday before he goes to work even. We're going to cram it in uh, one o'clock show because I just believe in it so much. It I haven't stopped thinking about it. And when I'm around my apartment, I'm laughing about everything because of this movie. It is such a joy inducer. And, uh, a couple... Um, Couple notes on the casting. Yes, please. Apparently, apparently, the voice of the raccoon that is on the chef's head yeah. is Randy Newman. Oh wow! Isn't that delightful? 
And originally, the Evelyn character was written for Jackie Chan. It was going to oh, be a male character. Wow. But no. Obviously, so, so much. much has changed because it's very, very much a mother daughter movie, isn't it? Yeah, I'm going to say yes, absolutely. As a parent, as a mother, um, and having. No, but I think a, a really kind of special relationship, right? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I just don't want to forget some things that I've got written down about it. So don't let me forget. Okay. I've got them okay. here on my computer, but yes, it is, to a see, mother, to say, it is a mother daughter story. I hope that that does not prevent anyone from relating to it or going to see it because yes. that is a part of it, but it's a huge part and a small part. If I'm, if it's possible for me to say that, because I know that some people have trouble with women's stories. This is the kind of woman's story that so transcends sexism, um, anti-gay, anti-everything, racism. It's so pure of heart that it. I just could start to cry. Yes, it really is. But, you know, there's there's a, a section in it where part the part of the family tension has to do with the fact that uh, the daughter Joy uh, is gay and has a girlfriend yes. Becky. Yes, you're and right. Who is who is delightful, lovely little supporting lovely. role, and the family lovely. is so worried that the grandfather is going to get all upset because Joy is gay. But mm-hmm. then you see the grandfather making friends with Becky, and everything is totally cool, right? And like the family's fears were unfounded when when they just faced the reality of good people interrelating together. Yes. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I noticed one of our, our listeners and friends to the podcast, Shauna. Hi, Shauna. If you're out there in Calgary, um, she posted on her Instagram today a great meme. I, I don't know if you call it a meme, but it's by Derek Lemos. And it says between Coco and Canto, everything, everywhere, all of the time and turning red. Millennial filmmakers are slowly creating an entire genre of fantasy films where parents apologize. Oh, isn't that interesting? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, I didn't think of saying it that way, but I definitely, my experience, I've seen those, all those films and the experience I had through them was so profound. Um, you know, I mean, my parents wouldn't have known how to apologize and I didn't push them to do it. Um, all I knew was that I was going to make a lot of mistakes as a parent and I had better be prepared because it's it's horrible when you fuck up with your kids. It's really one of the worst things you can really feel in your life and and to try and reconcile it with them. So I thought that was pretty cool. And it reminded me of Big Fish again, mm-hmm. you know, which go ahead. And also because of of its structure with with so many crazy fun crazy edits and images that that are flashed in front of us yeah you know it it tells us that it could be a game changer you know because it says it's okay to do anything you want mm-hmm. uh, a movie can be anything you want it to be yes the possibilities are are endless yes like let's just let's just go on this crazy fantasy romp that's all about something you know it's a multiverse movie without any superheroes 
Yes. Yeah, Evelyn, Evelyn, in a way, is, is like an anti-superhero. Like yes. She's just coming to terms with trying to live in the world. Yes. And, you know, I loved her clothes. I, I went and researched the clothes in the movie because there's some beautiful designer clothes that the daughter wears. Just incredible clothes that, you know, if I was 20, I would want to dress just like that, you know. Um, you know, I try to get away with a little bit of that, but you, you can only go so far. But Evelyn also has incredible clothes. And the woman who did the, the wardrobe, she bought it all in Chinatown for Evelyn. Oh yeah. And the authenticity is really incredible. And I thought that last there's a sweater that she wears in some pivotal scenes. Did you notice the sweater? I did not notice the sweater. Okay. It's a red sweater and it has these um, curly cues that go up the sleeves. I mean, I thought this was an incredible, I thought this might be a a fancy designer. I thought it might be Vivian Westwood. Not at all. It was bought in a store in Chinatown. I mean, it's still a designer. It's probably not natural wool. Um, I mean, I wasn't sure. And on it, in three different places, on the sleeve and on the back, it says punk. Oh, I remember that, yes. Yeah, yeah I, I was remember really... thinking that's really a curious thing to have. Because she's there. kind of a punk herself. She's kind of a punk rocker. She's she's badass. She's out there going against the system. And, well, I think, um, I think she becomes like yes, that. Yes, of I course. think at first she's just confused. And, yeah. you know, at one point she says, I'm not ready to fight. Yes. Right. She hasn't got her strength yet. Yes. Right. But but this crazy trip she's on is teaching her how to get her power Mm -hmm. to live in the world. Mm -hmm. That's that's what I think this movie is about. Yes, absolutely. And I think it also reminded me of an old movie called Cocoon, where it's in a retirement home and aliens come to Earth and all the um, retired people who had every ailment in the world suddenly have this experience where they're beyond their transcendent of their pain and their um, physical bodies and they can they start to live life again and it's not just that they got rid of arthritis they actually they got a new worldview and they were able to be back in the world again and I think that there's a lot of fun in that with this um, with this movie too where you know they're supposed to be old people and Yet there's a vivacity in some of them that is not just because of they've gone, they've, they're not focused on their pain and their problems. They focus somewhere else and it's very healing to do that. Like you said, it gave them their power. Um, I want to read something else, which is very bizarre. This, uh, this is from the 70s and it's um, by someone who had, um, because there's a lot of time smashing. There's a lot of time doesn't make sense in this movie. It's it's definitely not a hindrance. Anyway, it's just weird because this is a, a, a writer, um, a book that Oprah had on her show in the 90s. And it's just the weirdest thing. And I read it recently and I couldn't help but think of this movie. The time is set already. It appears to be quite arbitrary. There is Yet there is no step along the road that anyone takes but by chance. It has already been taken by him, although he has not yet embarked on it. For time seems to go in one direction. We but undertake a journey that is over, yet it seems to have a future still unknown to us. Time is a trick, a sleight of hand, a vast illusion in which figures come and go as if by magic. Yet there is a plan behind appearances that does not change. The script is written. When experience will come to end your doubling, your doubting has been set. For we but see the journey from the point at which it ended, looking back on it, imagining we make it once again reviewing mentally what has gone by 
and that's Helen Schumann. She was a mystic in the 70s and a psychologist. She wrote this book that basically started the New Age movement. And I just think it's really funny. It was on Oprah. And I sometimes laugh when what are the women on Oprah who watch Oprah like me? What are they thinking of that? It was one thing to come up through meditation in Tibetan Buddhism and read that. But to come from nowhere and to read this book would be crazy. And that movie has that sense of... Um, of Eastern mysticism and Eastern, uh, like what we would call Buddhism and and such, because it's in China. Uh, the philosophies in it are incredible. I just, I can't say enough about this movie. Yeah, for sure. It's so far this year, it's the movie of the year. And I, I just can't even imagine a movie as just a movie so filled with creative spirit. I, yes. I can't imagine we're going to see one like it in some time. Right. Concur. Um, yeah, and it, it's interesting also, I, I want to kind of put it towards paintings too, but it's interesting to see that, um, you know, art can keep on growing and you, we are not painted into a corner, we're not stuck. Um, some, uh, Steg mentioned a piece of artwork, which I don't, I meant to look it up before, but it's a surrealistic piece where a donkey and a horse hang from a ceiling. And um, do you know what that is? I can't place it. I'll look mm -hmm. it up later. But I did think of it as like the movie has like this surrealism that just you know, it's it's not concerned, just like Dolly had clocks hanging and everything, you know? Um, it's just got a lot of really, yeah, like a video game, fun, fun, fun. <laughs> I can't wait to see it again. I like, literally wanted to stay back in the theater and watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> it I is have, also, it is also long. I'm going to say that, and I would long. have shaved 20 minutes off of it. Fair enough. I it absolutely would have. Movie. It was it was a little bit longer than than I would have liked it to be, but I could understand why they didn't want to cut one precious second of it because yes. it was all totally delightful and fun and yes. serious and crazy and psychedelic yes. and silly and all of it. It was like everything all at once. Everything all at once, and they you know it was filmed before the pandemic. I I didn't know that, and there's some interesting things in it where some of the costumes have the visors. Now I bought a visor in 2019 uh, because we had been in the park and we saw a nanny wearing this sun visor. And we were like, oh my God, I didn't realize that was a thing. It's like a big visor, but it's like a, a golf hat. Yes. And you wear it at an angle to keep the sun off of you. So I went and because we were so taken by this woman, I got a couple. I got one for my daughter and one for me. I had no idea that I would look at that thing on my shelf and go, what the fuck in the pandemic, right? Like <laughs> it was such a precursor to the pandemic because you can wear it as a face shield. But they have a scene where people are wearing these face shields. They're they're like a sun visor, really. And and they're in a place that's like a maybe an imaginary heaven. So I was like, oh, they must have made that after the pandemic. No, they didn't. Interesting. Yeah. And they did a lot of follow-up after the pandemic, obviously making this film. I think the problem is if they took out some of the movie, they would take out that incantatory um, dream sequence of her face. And I mean, that's something that people wouldn't normally do in a film. It's very European. I mean, that's what I'm saying by Siddhartha in the film Siddhartha. Uh, they, I think they have scenes like that where they're trying to portray transformation and transcendence. Well, and yeah, and there's a lot, there's a lot of material. Uh, you know, I, I would have edited a little bit, but I'm not complaining too much. Yeah. 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 
And that's fair. Uh, it's, it's worth it's worth the time investment because right. it is just so fantastic. Yeah. And I, I loved it. Didn't care how long it was. was. I was there. I just keep it going. I just love it. I love I, I, I it didn't bother me. Um, did I, I did I share that SNL sketch with you a couple of weeks ago? Pete, Pete Davidson did a thing called short ass movies <laughs> where he's complaining about the length of movies. And it's kind of <laughs> like a, a song. And since then, Netflix has had a section. I think they added a section with short-ass movies. Oh, really? Yeah, That's I think hilarious. so. Yeah. Um, we thing- should say, while yeah. we're talking about everything, yes. uh, everywhere, all at once, and it's written and directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert, mm-hmm. and they're known as the Daniels. I know. I love it. Isn't that It's great? kind of adorable. It is kind of adorable. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to give them uh, credit because it is, a, it is a marvelous piece of work and they deserve full credit for it. Definitely. And then I'm going to be corny again because uh, at my friend's wedding in Vancouver Island, um, they had a, a reading and the, the message was the purpose of a relationship is to teach us how to love. And I think that movie really nails it. Uh, there's a lot of relationships sure. yeah. and there's a lot of questions about how we love and do we love and do we say it and stuff. It's just... Yes. Damn, I hope that it's all those things. Yeah, I just just, hope that people will go see it. (laughs) Yes, it's um, you know, it's really it's required. If you're gonna be a a real a serious agency fan, you've got to see it. (laughs) Hey Eugene, um, when you say it's a game changer, it it occurred to me while you were saying that, can you think of paintings that are like that? Art that's like that, that in a different medium than film? Well, uh, yeah, I think uh, I, I think you could look, for instance, at Jackson Pollock's explosion into abstract expressionism from everything else he had been doing as a game changer. I think that opened up painting for a lot of people who could see it in a different way. Right. Um, and I wonder if Andy Warhol in in art you could say also did the same kind of thing. It was a game changer. Absolutely. Uh, you're, that's such a good point. I didn't even think of Andy Warhol. That seems so obvious. But of course, with the soup can, worshiping the soup can and worshiping, acknowledging that we worship several celebrities and, and Brillo pads that he found the normal transcendent, the average and, boring. I, and I think we could say in, in music, uh, there have been some musicians at certain times. Um, you know, there was a certain period uh, in which I think Miles Davis was a game changer in jazz. Yeah. Uh, he started doing things that hadn't been done before and doing them just so incredibly well. Yeah. Uh, and I think you could say that about a number of musicians oh. who were game changers in their genre. Yeah, sure. I guess I would add I would add muralists too, that, that murals being out in the street could, could be social change, emotional change. Uh, Riviera and... Um, Rivera and um, Guernica, uh, you know, Picasso's Guernica could be a game changer. Um, Picasso's paintings in general, Dadaism, Marcel Duchamp is a game changer, I believe. Yeah, I just think it is so amazing when people have these breakthroughs where they get beyond worry. They, they don't seem to be worried about what people think of their piece and they know they're pushing no. something. And it's just done with such confidence yeah. that says we can do anything. Yeah, we can we can stop this this film and fill it with so many different images coming at you all at the same time until you're almost disoriented. <laughs> um, we can we can 
make human beings have hot dogs for fingers. We could <laughs> just do anything we want. And, right. and we can just do it because it's going to work in the story. It's going to, you know, they can create any universe they want and they do. Yeah. How many universes do they recreate? Yeah. This right? also, like, like yeah, she goes back, to, she goes, she sort of jumps to the universe in which she was a martial artist. And yes. all of a sudden she has the, that skill as a martial artist. Right, right. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is also a great metaphor for the idea of reincarnation. Because there is a sense of, for me, I, I couldn't help but think about like other lives where, you know, why are you good at this suddenly? Well, you must have been this in your last life or something, or your multiverse. And multiverse is a scientific theory, by the way. I, I had texted my daughter, I said, what's up with multiverse? Because, um, and I was like, is it, is it the superheroes or is it science? And she's like, it's both, mother. <laughs> but it's true because I know the science of multiverse, but um and then Giordano Bruna, he's probably one of the first people, um, you know, in 1500s, he called it, he said there was like 15 universes. Did you know that? No, I did not. Yeah. And he got burnt. He got burnt by the church for that kind of shit. Um, yeah. Well, 15. The church for that kind of shit. Yeah. And now he is revered. I noticed on um, the remake of Contact with um, Neil Degrassi. Neil Tyson Degrassi. Oh, I'm going to screw up his names. Um, he opens up that series with a little cartoon version of Giordano Bruno. And I went, I can't believe that when I was young, you know, now he was so unpopular in, in to study and to be obsessed with. He's in the Illuminati, by the way. And um, <laughs> he helped initiate me, Giordano Bruno. And then now Degrassi <laughs> has him on this show, Contact. It's so cool. So cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just jazzed. Just jazzed by that movie. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, a nice spy flick. Uh, oh, yeah, I saw it too, I think. You see too, uh, uh, All the Old Knives? Yes, yes. Oh, I'm very Nice little movie, huh? Very nice little movie. I was not prepared for the pacing. It, it took me a bit of time. And I thought it was um, Le Carre. Lacare. Yes. Yes. It was very Lacare esque because of the pacing. Yes. That kind of plotting pacing. Yes. That it doesn't it doesn't propel you quickly. It's not in any hurry to go anywhere. Plus, mm -hmm. there's there's really very little plot. Even though there's a huge plot twist in this film, there isn't much plot. No, there isn't. And um, yeah, I I kind of got sucked into it. It was kind of good. I just kept going with it. Kept going with it. And um, way better payoff. I mean, way better than Power of the Dog. More enjoyable to watch than Power of the Dog. Listen, I like the Power of Dog, but I don't know anybody else who liked it. And to me, the, with that movie, what happens is the payoff at the end is pretty good. But yes. but you you're paying for it the whole movie. It's like torture. So yes, in, and the whole thing is part of it is is a flashback. Because yes. it happened, like it happens in the well in, in 2020, but also back in 2012. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. at that time there was a hijacking of a terrorist hijacking of a Turkish Airlines flight, yes. Yes. and it everything went to shit. And head office at the CIA is reopened the investigation, yes. and they've asked this character played by Chris Pine to. Um, to go find out what happened. It was there a mole. Yes. And it's implied that if he finds out that 
somebody has sold them out, he's to kill them. Exactly. You know, um, <clears throat> this movie did surprise me because <clears throat> um, it really does, again, show us that there are certain systems that damage and destroy our hearts and destroy relationships. You know, I know that's a reoccurring theme in our podcast lots of times that capitalism destroys relationships, corrupts relationships. And this is played out here too. In the most unexpected way, I did not see it coming at all. And it is not anything to do with a spy story. It's to do with that the work environment that they were in completely corrupted and damaged relationships um in a way yeah, that i yeah, i mean i yes. was bawling my eyes out by the time that film ended i was crying my ass off and i couldn't believe that i was feeling those things it was it was such a you know it looked really good didn't it, it was a very attractive film in the same way that the set direction of tinker taylor soldier spy yes. was very compelling um you know they really did make a beautiful environment they had this restaurant that barely had customers in it and they had flashbacks and offices. So it is attractive, but it is plodding. It is slow. Yes. Um, although I didn't feel that I was bored at any point. No, me neither. It. It, was, no, it was quite no. gripping it was in gripping. its slowness. It, it was gripping. And, and it was you... beautifully acted. Chris Pine was very, very good. Um, Thandy. Uh, Thandy Newton, yeah. Yeah, she was fantastic. Absolutely. Um, Lawrence Fishburne had a small role as their boss. Good. Yeah, he was good. It was nice to see him. Yeah, I was surprised that he would take on a, a small supporting role like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, the acting are incredible. It, it really is those two main actors, Fanny Newton and Chris Pine. Listen, they are easy on the eyes. There's nothing wrong with watching those two. And they were smart to throw in some pretty sexy bits into that i was like what i didn't know i didn't know it was that kind of movie <laughs> there's some pretty intense sex scenes in there and you know it's and it it builds into the story if you will um you've got two gorgeous gorgeous actors why can't you watch it of course you can so that was smart with that kind of plot to make it extremely attractive and that's what they did with power of the dog they put benedict cumberbatch in there who's so popular and so beloved and draws an audience and they could get people to watch Power of the Dog and, and also be tortured. If I have a criticism of this film, uh -huh. I would say that it hinges so much on, on the plot twist that like it is like, as you called it, a payoff. It's very much a, a big bang payoff movie. And that's good, but it's, you know, it's also limits of film. It's interesting because I have a feeling you and I are talking about two different twists in that film um they are the same twist though they are the same twist but for me i don't give a shit about the terrorism thing you know what i mean like that i thought it was a movie about spies and it's a movie about something else for me yes of course oh okay all right yeah i mean we've ruined this movie we've definitely moved ruined this movie we've mentioned plot twists because there is a plot twist in it <laughs> is there a plot twist in this movie <laughs> so now it's ruined now people are going to be looking for If you'd like it. to learn more about the plot twist in this movie, you can email us at theagency.podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. And we would be happy to ruin this film even more. Oh, my God. Are we wrapping up now? No, we're not wrapping up. Oh, yet. okay. Are you ready to wrap up already? No, I thought you were. We're just, you we're just getting started. No, I, I was know. just giving out our email address. Uh, okay, good, good, good. I mean, we still have guitar players to talk about. 
So there's um, two new series that we access on Crave hereabouts. Uh-huh. Um, and last night, uh, Sheila and I watched the first episode of both of them. Oh, right. I forgot about this. I hope I watched the other one. I watched Julia. So Julia is one of them. Yeah. Uh, with uh, Sarah Lancashire as Julia Child. Mm-hmm. And um, we watched one episode of that. And then we watched an episode of Tokyo Vice. Oh, yeah. I meant to watch that. I directed by Michael Mann. I love Michael Mann. He's my god. Love him. Okay. Julia is charming. <laughs> Tokyo Vice is freaking great. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, I can't wait. I can't wait. So, I forgot to watch it. Yes, you have to watch. We'll talk more about it next week. Okay. But good. it's it's based on a, a a 2002 book, I believe, by a guy named Jake Edelstein. And he's a guy who moved to Japan as a student and mm. and took an exam and got a job at one of Tokyo's biggest newspapers oh. as a crime reporter. First time a foreigner has ever been hired by this newspaper. So throughout throughout the first episode, people are referring to him as Gaijin. Hey, Gaijin. Hey, Gaijin. Okay. Okay. Which means? Um, Which means white guy in Japan. Okay. I don't know the exact translation, but that's about it. Um, it's It's a story about this guy based on his... So I, I don't know if it's a true story, but it's based on this guy's book, which was about his actual experiences. Mm. And it uses his actual name, J.K. Mm-hmm. Osteen. Okay. So he... Uh, That's cool. He gets a job uh, as a crime reporter, and he's learning really quickly that the way things are done around here is different than from where he comes from. Okay. And he's got to try to figure that out and figure oh. out how to uh, work this job. Right. Um Originally, it was going to be a movie with Daniel Radcliffe as Jake, and then it got repurposed in June 2019 as a series, and they hired Michael Mann to direct it. Mm. Uh, it's, I mean, I'm just starting it, but so far, it's really fabulous, it's really cool. interesting. It's exotic because it's entering a, a culture that I don't know that much about. Right. Uh, you know, the, the workings of uh, gangster crime in Tokyo. I mean, what do I know about that? I don't really right. know about it. Oh, I'm so really excited. That's always interesting to me to learn. You, you had me at Michael Mann. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Who so, I live for. Now, Michael uh, Mann has done Collateral. He did Heat. He did Manhunter. One of the great, great directors. Oh, yeah. He's fabulous. And he does a, a great job on uh, on this show as well. Mm. Mm. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. We actually, um, we watched an episode and a half last okay. night and, and then we were both getting too tired. To, yeah. Well, uh, I'm going to tell you, I mean, again, who knew we're going to have so many great TV shows coming out? Um, first of all, you know, at first I was like, Julia, you know, okay, well, I'll, I'll watch it, but how's this going to be, you know, how far are they going to take this as a series or a mini series? Well, I watched all four episodes. I couldn't stop. Oh, did you really? Okay. Yeah, I want that, that are released. I, I assume there's a few more coming right down the pipe because this this is released weekly, and um, I didn't watch it right away. I think it started on in the end of March or something or beginning right. of April, and um, I am so charmed by it. David Hyde Pierce, and like you said, Lancaster. She's from Happy Valley. As soon as I saw she was in it, 
I was sold. Now I had been recommended that I might like this, this series. And I was like, Oh, I don't know. Do I have time for it? No, I just love it. It has really grown on me. And it is a story of, um, of a crossover of syndicating a TV show. So that part has really um, been charming. It starts, it's a public, how I had no idea this backstory of how she ended up being on, on uh, TV. I just assumed that yes, it, was, it really shows her as a TV pioneer in a way that uh, revisits the story we haven't seen this way. Yes, and I would I put it way. as a good cousin to being the Ricardos in a way, um, although that's a bit of a darker version. This one really has some beauty and light and family and delightful characters. And not only is David Hyde Pearson it, but he's reconnected with B.B. Newirth, who was also on Frasier. So I thought that was, or on Cheers, sorry, because she plays his wife. Uh, uh, Do you know I never watched an actual entire episode of Cheers? Oh my God, so good. I love Cheers and I love, and when they did a spinoff of Frasier, I thought, why did they pick that guy to be? <coughs> I've never spin-off. watched an actual full episode of Frasier either. Fucking hilarious. Crying my ass off, falling off the couch funny. So good. Um, yeah, maybe one day, you know, I didn't see Seinfeld until (laughs) it was off the air for several years before I saw it. And then it's like, oh, yeah, that's what all the fuss was about. Well, I love I love seeing an old retro show. I didn't watch. I want my dad was into Hill Street Blues and I didn't watch that for years later when it came on CBC at midnight or something. And there was nothing else on. So I would just watch that, you know, when I was on the West Coast in Victoria. Um, I didn't have cable and just came in on regular, if you can believe, regular TV. Are you the and person I know who was late coming to The Sopranos? Yes. Yes. I watched Sopranos. We started in 2013. Yeah. Um, I think, oh, that was well over the last episode was well done. I didn't know why everybody was so pissed off about the ending. I had no clue. I love the ending of The Sopranos, by the way. I can't. The ending was fine. For, it was what it was, right? Well, that it ended ending. somehow. Leave it ambiguous. That's great art making right there. <laughs> um, creative art making 101, ambiguity. <laughs> so back to Julia. Yes. I oh, had I a little it. bit of trouble suspending my disbelief at times. And the reason is that in the previous performances of actresses playing Meryl Streep. Julia, yep. Meryl Streep and Dan Aykroyd are the two that, <laughs> that come to mind. Both had every mannerism mm. down so perfectly. Every gesture, just like we've seen a thousand times on mm. TV, mm. they just nailed it. And in this series, the actor gets it some of the time. And some of the time, it's like, no, that's not Julia. No way. That's not her. Mm -hmm. So I'm not, I'm having a little bit of trouble buying in to to this. Um, But on the other hand, they do a great job really showing her tenacity Mm. um, and her confidence that this is a good thing to do like being on tv and she wants to do it mm. and they don't even own a tv that right. she goes out to buy a tv it's right. that's kind of delightful. right okay so that all happens in the first episode huh that's that's pretty amazing i will say that the first episode was fine i liked it 
And I just didn't know what else to do. So I let the, you know, the TV ran and it picked up the next episode. I mean, I just happened to be really like sitting in my chair, didn't want to move. It was really, it was not a thoughtful thing. I was waiting on a couple of um, people to text or phone and the cable had just come back on at one point. That's So then I was like, well, I'm just so glad to be in front of the TV because it's been off for 24 hours, right? And the next thing I knew was I just let it flow and the next show came on, the next episode. And I, it something happened between the first and the third episode where I now love the series. I love it. And I, I didn't feel love for the first episode. I just was sitting there. Although it I, had moments. It had great it, it moments. It definitely does. And I am obsessed with that actress. So I think that helps too. I actually think she now has robbed, robbed. She owns Julia Child now for me. Okay. So I would feel like we'll, I, I know the we real. Will, yeah, we we'll will see. watch the rest. Yeah, I feel sure. like I know the real, I, I feel like that's the real Julia Childs in this series. That's how committed it is. And it really is at some point, like you said, it's kind of going beyond her. And it's really about, um, creating this this new it, it, she's a game changer it really is about game changing you know and um okay well it's so, good i wasn't sure what it was what they could go for yes. i kind of felt that it's such a familiar story i know we've we've seen julia on tv i grew up watching julia child yeah. episodes yeah how many thousand times have i seen her on tv right we've seen right. her depicted in the past in both a funny way and a more yeah. serious way. Yeah. And um, I thought, what, what else is left in this story? Yeah, I know. I agree. It, it does seem like you're going for a saturated storyline. It's yeah. saturated. No, I guess, I guess that it's not because first of all, you have new generations who don't know who she is that have not seen the show That's true. or heard Very of true. her. So in that way, it's appealing to them. It's going to make people go and look at her book and, 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 and find out who she was. Um, they don't touch anything. Like I thought it might be the spy aspect. Yeah, I was hoping spy. for that too. I was hoping for that too. I mean, they certainly could do, if this series picks up, they certainly could do half a season on that. You know, it, it occurs was- to me that she was a spy in Paris at the same time that your uncle my uncle and aunt were spies in Paris. They must have known one another. They must have known they each must other. Have. And they, they were they both were hanging cooking. in the same circles. And, and they were and both Harold cooking. was a, a French chef. They yes. must have known one another. Absolutely. And I think you're gonna learn a little bit about your uncle from the next couple of episodes. <laughs> Maybe I, I will. <laughs> well, I, I and I'll say that. Just remind me why I said it. I don't want to say it right now, but if I forget when we when we talk about it next week or whatever. I'll tell you why it's I think you might agree with me um I did think about your uncle last night ironically I didn't realize it was the same time period but I, I but yes, I did for, think for our it. listeners who don't know this I I had an uncle and aunt who were in Paris after the war after the mm-hmm. second world mm-hmm. war and they befriended many people in the arts community uh and um at some point we found out that they were spies yeah and we've had it corroborated in print as well that's right um, remember when i found that article uh it was in the new yorker okay uh, yeah. there was a, an article in the new yorker about um about gertrude and alice surviving the war as uh, a lesbian jewish couple surviving the war and, and how they did it and um my uncle and aunt 
Trump's name comes up in the article and the author says, well, they've been long dead. I guess it's okay to say that Harold and Virginia were spies. Yes. Yes. And then, you know, I saw that at my friend George's house. He had the um, issue and he would have no idea about your last name. I read it at George's place. George, if you're listening, hi. And um, he's a big New Yorker fan. And I don't know why I was maybe hanging out and I, I looked at the article and I guess oh, it was about Gertrude, Gertrude Stein. I almost passed out when I saw your uncle's and aunt's name there. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I was like, okay, this is the Holy grail because you and I used to joke about like telling stories and thinking about your family had a spies. And this was the actual like corroboration in print. It was so cool. Yes. And, and we don't know what they actually did, what that job entailed. Right. Um, Somebody told me years ago, and I don't even remember who it was, mm, mm. Uh, but somebody had told me that they were very popular among the arts community because working for the embassy, my Aunt Virginia had an unending supply of American cigarettes. Oh, wow. That is cool. Oh, there's a lot of smoking in uh Which is funny. Yeah, you look at all the old family photos that have them in Paris with, yeah. with Alice and those people. They're all smoking all the time. So crazy. So crazy. Are you, so, able, yeah, to there's, Are you there's able to share one of those stories. photos with us in the future? I'll have to uh, see what I have. No. See I don't look have. at old photos that often, but I, I have know. I have some. I know. I know. Um, yeah. And you know what else I'm loving? Andy Warhol Diaries. I don't know if you've gotten further on them. We've got a little bit further. Yeah. I'm, I'm probably still hovering around episode four now. Because we just haven't had the two of us in the, in the same, because Stag and I are watching it. I just love it. I love all the film clips. I love, I really fell in love. Have you got to Basquiat yet? Not yet. Okay, that's a really good episode. Really good episode. So Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting. In a, in a way, I resist, I resist looking at treatments of, about artists, because I, so often disappointed by them because knowing that community knowing people in that community and then seeing how artists are treated uh often well just disappoints me um yeah. so i have kind of a prejudice to avoid these things but on the other hand it's very interesting isn't it oh god yeah it's so interesting very very interesting um very interesting. And I guess there is a little bit of that. And also because I don't necessarily take everything he says as dead serious, but some I do. Um, you know, he is lonely. It's hard. Yeah, to it's sad that he's lonely for sure. It's sad that he's lonely. And it just, you know, that's a difficult, if you're a club bunny, you know, you've got you to have a good home life if you're uh, going to dance clubs all the time. It just really helps. <laughs> okay. Well, because you're going out there and, and you're being you know, letting go. And, and I mean, these guys are partying, they're living hard and the guys and girls, it's not just a guy thing. Um, they're partying hard. You need to be able to really reboot at home. Well, it, it would be depression afterwards. It would be depressing. And when well, you and, and I, cards, I think, I think a lot of people who were part of that community at that time um, didn't, didn't survive their lifestyle. Right. Right. And then there's some real things about like his, they, they're going into a relationship he has with somebody called Phil. 
And when they asked Jerry Halls in this, she's, she was a very good friend of Andy Warhol. And they go to her and, and she just looks fabulous. And they say, well, what about Phil? And she goes, who? And you're like, oh, she is pissed at this guy. Wow. Yeah. She, who? And I'm like, oh, you just told us a lot. And it does seem like this guy was, um, I don't know if he didn't have any money, but it seems to me that he was just a fame whore that he just wanted to be part of the Andy Warhol circle of friends. I don't think he cared about him. I don't think they had sex. I don't know if he loved him or not, but I think he knew how to pretend to love him. It's, it's hard to tell because I, I just can't figure that out. <clears throat> so I don't think that that's a very nice aspect of the story too, because I'm sure it's a little bit like Whitney Houston, where you find out that there's hangers on, you know, and, and, and people are, you know, you're, when you're well off like that, you're buying everybody drinks. You're paying for the party, and you yeah. don't know that they're not friends of yours. Yeah, so that's a little bit sad. It's good though. It's really good. Amazing footage. Amazing, you know, a record of that era. Yeah, a lot of interesting things uh, on television these days. Exactly. It's so cool. It feels great. I'm sure I'm watching something else too that I can't remember right now. <laughs> I'm kind of glad we covered those things. So oh, I'm going to yes. say watch. Sheila's Julia. been watching as kind of like unwind from work television, mm. yeah. um, where you want just kind of like a fairly mindless drama. She's been watching the Chelsea Detective. Oh, that sounds good actually. It's uh, what era is it set in? It's. Hmm, I'm just trying to. It doesn't. It doesn't seem to advertise its era. I I can't tell you right. right so it now. could be the zeros. It could be the zeros. Then. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, he rides a bicycle. He's a policeman. He rides a bicycle, and he has a partner whose name is Priya. I forget his name, and she is a mother, but she's not very good at being a mother. Or she's <laughs> trying to get better at being a mother, or something like that. And yeah, together they solve crimes and it's kind of right. it's kind of okay it's like uh it's sort of like castle you know okay. it's not in the background it doesn't stop right. harmful right i'm just looking it up it's made recently i'm trying to see oh there's a houseboat a battered houseboat yeah he lives on a battered houseboat oh right. and rides a houseboat yeah um it sounds i don't see the era that it's in but it sounds like contemporary yeah, I mean, he yeah. wears like a tweed suit. That's why I'm thinking maybe it wasn't quite 80s. Maybe it's 80s. Yeah, yeah maybe. Maybe it's 80s. And maybe it doesn't even it. matter. And I actually haven't paid a lot of attention. It's sort of something Sheila's had on when, and I've wandered right. in. I just wanted to know how mystery-based it is. Like, is it lots of gruesome murders or not? <laughs> no, there's not lots of gruesome murders. But somebody, there's usually a murder, but it's not really gruesome. Right. You know, it's about as gruesome as like Poirot. Right. It's, right. it's not gruesome, but, right. but yeah, but still there's murder. <laughs> yeah. You know, okay, I mean, it's cool. the problem with TV. The problem with TV is, for instance, look at Wallander. Mm -hmm. How many murders there were in, in Eastat in within a couple of years? I know. I this know. little this little community in in uh, in Sweden couldn't possibly have that many murders, could it? Right. Right. Because they're not about murder. They're about life and death and, and a gravity of when you're in a grave situation, how do you respond, I guess? Well, look at Midsummer. Um, it's, that's a standing joke. That's your feel good. It's a cozy. Um, 
a lot of people in, in the UK call their mystery books cozies because they've got the murder, but they've also got cute characters and a cute setting. Um, in Midsummer, you know, sometimes there's three murders in it. It's not even remotely possible that there's that many murders. Oh, yeah, that's a particularly um, trashy one. It, <laughs> it's it, it really is badly trashy. written. I, it's I've so wa- badly written. It's, yes, but it is it is like having cotton candy or a nice piece of pie mm. at the end of the day. And yeah, I definitely hot water watched, bottle. I did watch a, a couple of seasons of it, and it was really kind of charming and funny because I got into the actors, you know, the actors playing the parts. I enjoyed them, and I enjoyed the the um, set direction, um, sort of like the British Bake, you know. It's yeah, so you know, kind of like Murdoch Mysteries here. Yes, they're they're, they're kind of yeah. harmless. They're kind yeah. of not very good, right? Uh, but they're tremendously popular. Yeah, exactly kind of not very good how's that for some good critical language that's some good critical critical language there yeah yeah game changers so um last week i mentioned that uh that george has a a Mm -hmm. tumor on his Mm -hmm. uh back he's scheduled for surgery next week thursday Oh, oh boy so uh, oh, he had yeah. his x-rays and he had blood work to make sure that uh, uh, it hadn't spread anywhere and that there was mm. no other reason why they couldn't do surgery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so that's scheduled and they're going to cut that thing out and hopefully uh, uh, he can recover quickly from that. Right. George, for any listeners who are new, is my, um, my nine-year-old Newfoundland dog. <laughs> He's a big brown Newfie and we love him. Yes. Hey, I have more than three. Um, I have more than four neighbors in this building because we've got Stash, no Satchel, Satchel, who's like um, I don't know if he's a bull mastiff combination with Pitbull, and I don't know what the makes of the dogs are. The makes, <laughs> I don't know the what makes. the makes of the dogs are. The brands. And what the brand brands. dog do you have? And then we have Nikos, and then there's a couple of cats, but we see the dogs on a regular basis and they are so cute. I posted a picture on my Facebook page of one of the, the dogs and he's adorable. He's got very curly hair. He looks like a teddy bear. He feels like a teddy bear. He's so cute. And I don't remember what his breed is at all, but it, so we it also looks like have you're getting guys. comfortable in this place. Hopefully yeah. you can stay there for a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be definitely a place to figure out what we want to do, what we're our next a, a holding ground, a, a transitional place. And it's very comfortable. It really is. And we've made it pretty cozy already. Yeah. So, yeah. So I forgot there's two dogs around. So I get to have dog energy. Yay. <laughs> Last night, there was, green, uh, there was a green balloon randomly, like a, a bad French film coming down the sidewalk. And, um, <laughs> and Nikos was on the front steps with us and he was obsessed with this balloon. It was so cute. And then Satchel came out with um, his companion. And so she started playing with that balloon. And of course it broke, but it was so cute watching him want to chase a balloon or, or even a floating garbage bag. It was pretty windy out there last night. And so debris was floating up and down the sidewalk. The green balloon did win. Um, but even a garbage bag, he was like wanting to chase. It was so cute. Very adorable. I actually have a picture I can share on, on our Facebook page too, of these dogs. Right. So that's it. That's all I got. That's all I got too. Okay. That well, must I'll mean uh, next week. That must mean it's, it's, it's a wrap. We'll be back at you next week. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.